We're gonna be jumping into our series, The Office, bringing Christ to the workplace. So go ahead, get out your Bibles, get your notes, and get ready to hear a word from God this morning. they've been videotaping us for the last few years. Uh, none of those were scripted. Not one, not one clip in that was scripted. Uh, anyway, sorry for taking so many naps. Uh, apparently on Instagram, there was a nap someone put on Instagram story yesterday. They caught me taking a nap on a roller coaster. So that's a true story. So the reputation of being able to take a nap anywhere uh, has just got to a whole new level. Well, listen, my name is Nate. I'm the lead pastor of Restoration Church. Yesterday, 10 years ago, I got voted in as lead pastor. It's been a stinking decade. <laughs> Holy cow. Uh, uh, it's just been awesome to see all of the great things that God has done. And uh, hey, why don't we keep going? Sound good? Uh, been some miracles here this morning. And uh, we're not done yet. So why don't you buckle your seatbelt, pull down on your lap bar, and hang on for a fun ride. Um, question for you, have you ever hired someone who was bad at their job? So let me explain. So I mean, I, I've probably done this way too many times. Um, but um, I think we often think about builders. I don't want to pick on builders today because we've got so many within our church at every location. So I'm going to talk about a guy, a time I hired a chef. And you're like, wow, you're fancy. You hired a chef. I went to a restaurant, all right? So that's hiring a chef. They, they, they're going to cook for you. I'm paying them money. So I won't say the name of the restaurant or anything, but, I, uh, but for me, uh, I'm a person who really, uh, really likes Mexican food. And if you tell me I like Mexican food too, I love Chipotle, you don't know what Mexican food is. And, I, and you've, you've discredited yourself in my eyes to anything you'll ever say ever again. I won't listen to what you like on movies, clothes, theological positions. If you tell me Chipotle is Mexican food, hey, great. You are nothing to me now. <laughs> um, and if you're like, well, that's me, that's offensive. Uh, listen, uh, we have room for discipleship and growth. Let's go get some Mexican food. And then you'll know, like, oh my word, you're right. <laughs> Pastor, you have the breadth, the infinite depths of knowledge come out of you. Well, we, we, um, we went to a Mexican restaurant with all the children uh, because it was during a time of life where kids ate free. And so our, our entire restaurant career or, or schedule is gonna be based on kids eat free or $1.99 kids meals at Buffalo Wild Wings on Wednesday nights. So if you didn't know that, you know it now, buck 99. Uh, and um, so, 
We go to the restaurant, we order chicken tacos, chicken tacos come out, and kids are doing their best to eat them. You think chicken tacos, how can you mess up chicken tacos? This Mexican restaurant messed up chicken tacos. My kids wouldn't eat them. And so you think, you know, I don't, I don't go to a church one time and think that church is horrible, I never go back, so I don't do that to a restaurant either. I just figured maybe it was an off day, whatever, so we try again. A month later, kids order chicken tacos, and they are not good. Soggy, not a lot of flavor, and their kids won't eat them. And it's tough for us because it's... Kids eat free, so economically, even biblically, biblical stewardship, we should probably keep going back there. And, uh, but the kids refuse. We don't wanna go, don't bring us there, please. Bring us to a nursing home. Don't bring us <laughs> to eat lunch at this Mexican restaurant. Can we go to the hospital and get food there? Not to this Mexican restaurant. And you think about it like, this is a restaurant. This is their career. This is a cook. This is what he's trained for. And he can't make a chicken taco. Why should I, a gringo, be able to make a chicken taco better than the chef? And I'm, I've, come, I've, I've come to this revelation. I'm gonna share it with you. Big light bulb moment for all of you. Just like every um, every family member, not every dad or mom is a good cook. Not every Mexican can cook good Mexican food, right? You think every fat American knows how to make a cheeseburger, right? No, they don't. I've gone to some and it's like, what's going on here? You're playing a practical joke there, hockey puck in here? And, uh, and, and so, we think about that. Now, now, let's switch gears a little bit, all right? I'm gonna ask you this question. Who, are, who is supposed to be the people who are able to show Jesus to the world the best? <laughs> Not to, the best. <laughs> who are, I mean, Christians, right? The followers of Jesus are supposed to be the people who, if you want to know about Jesus, you go find a follower, hey, tell me about Jesus. You show up at church every hey, help me understand Jesus. In our Dover worship time today, we had an interruption after the Eaton's testimony where we stopped to pray for people who had been hurt in church. Well, how, why would you show up at church where people are supposed to show Jesus, be the place you experience the love of Jesus, and end up getting hurt? in that place and then rejecting Jesus. Because what we're supposed to be the best at, unfortunately, oftentimes, we're the worst at it. We embody everything that Jesus isn't. Pointing fingers, nasty comments, gossiping about other people, church divisions, and wow, what a mess. This morning, as we're gonna, uh, as soon as I'm done talking, <laughs> we're going to uh, eat some chili together, hang out for a little bit after service. We got some vegetarian options, at least here in Dover, for those of you who, uh, those of you who, um, who are afraid of 
I don't even know where I'm going right now. I've used all my jokes, I better stop. I've been on the borderline of being offensive. Don't offend the, the vegetarians. Open your Bibles. Uh, no. We, we're gonna open our Bibles in a moment, but uh, I, this morning, why are we serving chili off a series? I just wanna show you a clip, and this connects in with our message. Uh, this is the famous scene of, uh, of Kevin. Kevin, if you've never watched the show, and, and I, honestly, I've never watched all of it. I've, I've seen enough, I know enough about it. But Kevin, Kevin doesn't do anything right. He's a big dope, big dope, all right? He's like every middle schooler. Just a, can't do anything, can't get out of his own way. And um, sorry, middle schoolers, I forgot. <laughs> he's, he's like every younger sibling, am I right? And, um, and so this is that famous scene. Let's watch this. We'll continue connecting in with our sermon this morning. At least once a year, I like to bring in some of my Kevin's famous chili. The trick is to undercook the onions. Everybody is going to get to know each other in the pot. I'm serious about this stuff. I'm up the night before, pressing garlic and dicing whole tomatoes. I toast my own ancho chilies. It's a recipe passed down from Malone's for generations. It's probably the thing I do best. I mean, I don't know, I, I meant to check what season this was on, but you've got all of these seasons of this guy not being able to do anything right, everything going bad for them. And finally, he says in this, it's the thing I do best. And even the thing he does best, he's a complete failure at. And it just makes you so sad for him. But don't feel bad for him because he... Um, because he got commercial deals out of, out of it and, and you know, has lived his whole life. But, but that, that line uh, is probably the thing I do best is perpetual failure. Again, jumping back to this idea of Christians and Jesus. We're the ones sharing his good news to the world and sharing Jesus is probably the thing we do best but yet we tend to drop the ball a lot. And even worse, sometimes our attempt to make it better, trying to, oh, I've messed up, scoop the chili back into the pot, makes things worse. And when we finally, after all of that mess, present Jesus to people, he's unappealing. I don't wanna eat that chili off the floor. I don't wanna, no thank you and we present Jesus to people, we're like, why in the world would I ever want to try him? Would I ever want to follow him? I, all the horror stories, all the nightmares, maybe something happened to you in the past, you're like, never again. We should be the best at helping people find Jesus, and what's the big why on that? because who else can? If we're not able to help people find Jesus, and I know not everybody in our services has, has and so you kind of hear our heart this morning, 
We want to help you find him, not join a religion or join a church, but to meet Jesus for who he really is. If we, if we don't help him, if we don't help them find him, who else will, who else can? Unfortunately, we can be the very reason why someone rejects Jesus, and this can be a pressure we put on ourselves or an excuse we use not to share Jesus with other people. Because we think, I'm just gonna mess it up, I'm gonna make people walk away from Jesus, I don't have the arguments, I don't have the answers, so I'm not ever gonna talk about it. I don't wanna offend someone, I don't wanna mess up. But again, if we don't share him, who will? So as we open the scriptures this morning, you can open up to 2 Corinthians chapter three. This morning's message, false. You can lead someone to Jesus. You can do it. First Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter three, starting at verse number one. A famous scripture here is Paul's writing to Christians and he says something in this passage of scripture that we need to stop and think about and, and look at, all right, if I'm a follower of Jesus, this means me. And I, I, I'm hoping that if you're a follower of Jesus and we, and we go through this morning's message, you will realize the great opportunity you have to show Jesus and share Jesus with the world. It won't be a pressure, it will be a privilege. And also, that if you've never followed Jesus, you begin to try to find people who are truly following him. Not just the person who's spouting off on Facebook and they say I'm a Christian. Not just that Sunday school teacher from 45 years ago who used to hit you with a yardstick. Um, uh, you know, not that nasty person, that neighbor who, 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 who says they're a Christian and then yells at you for the way you're living. But try to find someone who's loving Jesus and following him and then evaluating their life. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse number one. Paul writes, who's the guy our last series was about, do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles of, condom, of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? So he's, he's going through his credentials because there was a lot of people in the Corinthian church who didn't want to listen to him. He says, you are, an, you are our epistle written in our hearts. That word epistle means letter. Known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. At first glance, as we read that, if you've kind of never if you're new to church or new to the Bible, it can seem a little bit confusing. It's not as confusing as you think it is. There's a couple of things in here. One main thing that we want to identify that Paul's writing about when he says, as a Christian, you are an epistle of Christ. The, um, the Christian Standard Version says, you show God's letter delivered. So God has written a letter on human hearts to show to the world the reality of Jesus. You are that letter de delivered. Living epistles, you may have heard people say before, it means you're a living letter of God's love to the world. So when you show up at work on Tuesday, 
Or if you're, or if you, if you have to work tomorrow on Labor Day, if you show up at work tomorrow, you're showing up as God's handwritten note to the world. Hey, Jesus is real. Look at this person whose life I've changed. Look at this person whose heart I've transformed. Look at this person whose sins I've forgiven. Look at this person who I've filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at this person who I've overwhelmed with love. And when someone looks at you and interacts with you, it is as if God has written them a handwritten letter. Hey, manager. Hey, receptionist. Hey, coworker. I just wanted to let you know that I love you. I wanted to let you know that Jesus is real and that he'll change your life just as he changed the person's life who's bringing this letter to you. They told you they had fun at church yesterday and I want you to know too that I've got a spot for you in the church that I wanna adopt you into my family. I love you and I'm looking forward to the opportunity to starting a relationship with you and starting a friendship with you. Signed, God. That is what you are as a living epistle walking into the office, walking into your workplace each week. That is a different way for, uh, for many of us to understand ourselves as followers of Jesus. We tend to think or we tend to act like we have to be the, the, the big brothers to Jesus. Don't you call my brother a name? I'll, I'll fight you, I'll fight you. And we, and, we're, and we get that like, kind of that mentality, like I've got to fight, I've got to stick up, I've got to defend. But God hasn't sent us in as his activists. He hasn't sent us in as his defenders. He hasn't sent us in as his warriors. He sent us in as a letter. Hey, read this. Understand this. Let me express this to you. Just a couple ideas about you being a letter of Jesus to your coworkers. And I'll stop here for a second. If you're here in our services or watching online and you don't follow Jesus, we are your letter. So when you come in to service today and you, oh, people are nice to me, that's God writing to you. I felt something when you were singing, that's God writing to you. People are allowing me to investigate Jesus at my own pace. It's God writing a letter to you. And so we hope this morning that, that we've been a living letter of Christ that you'll keep reading on and that maybe you'll write back to him when you get home today or at the end of the service today and say, hey, I got your letter. I think I'd like to become pen pals. I think I'd like to get to know you more. I think I'd like to follow you. We pray that for you today. A couple of things about, the, about being a letter. First, the letter has to be seen. This is not, your faith is not a diary or a journal that you keep hidden under your bed and that you're the only person who ever reads it, whoever sees it. Your faith with Jesus has to be, has to be noticeable. 
People have got to know that it's the letter they're reading. It can't be a time capsule where you say, do not open until 2050. Don't talk about my, I won't talk about my faith with Jesus until my funeral where I'll be uh, then entering heaven. But it's got to be something where, um, and this is not over the top. This, is not, this doesn't mean you, you have to change your, your wardrobe or anything. This just means that you're not hiding who you are what you do, what you believe. What'd you do this weekend? I just celebrated Labor Day, you know. No, I don't know. What'd you do this weekend? I went to church. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's not, oh, you go to church. It's not a necessary, very complicated thing to just be an open letter. To just allow people to say, oh yeah, oh yeah, I couldn't believe anybody would ever be a Christian. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. You are, I like you. Oh yeah, yeah, I am. Living letter, allowing people to know who you are. They will spectate you, criticize you, try to find fault in you. But what happens is, as we're following Jesus, then they get the opportunity because they're watching you to begin to find him. Second thing about the letter, it should be legible. All right, now, so you're a living letter of God, but sometimes we can live in a way that is, that is just very confusing. The question you've got to ask is, what are you saying? What are you trying to say with the way you're living, the, way, the words that you're using, the way that you interact with your, your coworkers and people at the office? We can, uh, the longer we've been in church, go to work and use church language to uh, people who've never been in church before, and they smile at you, but they have no idea what you're talking about. Sometimes following Jesus, we don't realize, has a language that other people don't use. This is not just Christians, but this is in many fields and trades and hobbies in the world. So, um, you know, if you're someone who pours cement You talk about the slump, you talk about the aggregate, you talk about the cream, and everybody else is like, okay, you're a little kooky. (laughs) I don't care about concrete. Is my house sinking or not? Uh, If you're in the fitness world, if you do CrossFit, it's hang cleans, power cleans, squat cleans, thrusters. It's like, that doesn't make any sense. Why do I want to learn a new language to be less fat? I'll go to Planet Fitness. Um, If... You're, uh, you, you know, you're, I, I, anyway, you get the point. It's a whole nother language. When you're communing, communicating Jesus, you don't have, uh, and I would be very just aware of the language you're using. Speak in English, speak to their understanding. Help them to understand what they're reading and what you're saying. Matthew 5, chapter 5, verse number 16, Jesus kind of talking about the same, the same thing. He says this, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. You're a living letter. They've got to be able to read the letter, uh, understand the letter, and good deeds are a great way for people to see who Jesus is. If they know you're a Christian and then you do good deeds, that helps them to connect the dots. If they don't know, they think that you're a Christian and you do good deeds, they just think you're a Boy Scout. So we wanna make sure that Jesus is getting the credit for the transformation he's done in our life. 
Um, next couple practical tips for you as you go to work this week, as you apply for jobs this week, and as you live through the rest of your career. How, what are some ways that you're gonna stand out in your office or your workplace? Number one, and maybe this is the big point for today, guard your tongue. You wanna stand out and be different than anybody else in your workplace, guard your tongue. Ephesians 4.29, a command for followers of Jesus, don't use foul or abusive language. You're the one guy at the construction site who's not cursing or using foul language. You stand out. You're the one kid in 10th grade not swearing. You stand out. You're the one coworker not saying foul jokes. You stand out. Not always for the way you want to, but you stand out. Let everything you say be good and helpful. Your tongue, the way you speak. Your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. You've maybe heard this saying before, my hope in humanity has been restored. First off, don't put your hope in humanity. That was your first mistake. I'm glad it's been restored, but I feel bad for you because it's gonna be broken again. Really fast. Stop putting your hope in humanity but what this does, all of a sudden people are encouraged, wait a minute, their hope now is not like, oh, there's a good, there's a good person in my, in my life, my hope in humanity is restored. Again, what we hope is that they say, wait a minute, there's a good person, there's an encouraging person, they're not gossiping, they're not criticizing, they're not backbiting, they're not maligning, they're not causing division, they're, they're not mean, they're not nasty. I'm encouraged now to think about Jesus again. I'm Maybe I should go back to church. Just by the way we speak to people, we open an opportunity for God to move in their heart and life. Last thing here before we jump into, we're not gonna jump into the chili, before we eat chili, together before we break some bread. I had a really bad joke at the beginning of my sermon that I crossed out. As we're eating chili after service, I'm gonna preach the word for you in a moment. The word is called the bread of life. So essentially, we're gonna be serving chili in a bread bowl this morning. But I crossed it out, I wasn't gonna use it because I knew you would look at me the way you just did. Here's the, here's the next thing, all right? Sharing your faith in the, in the workplace is probably key principle here through this series. Wait for a window of opportunity. And I talk about this a lot in our life, that these moments that God opens up someone's heart, these moments when someone's open to hearing about Jesus, and waiting for those moments, and when those moments happen, to step into it. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 15, Peter writes, instead you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. So he's saying, he doesn't go around and say, start yelling at people and screaming at them, hoping that they'll, throwing rocks at their window, hoping they'll open it and you'll get the opportunity to talk to them. Wait for the window, for someone to open that window and say, 
Talk to me why you're happy. Tell me why you don't swear. Talk to me about every time we start bashing our manager, you walk out of the room. Talk to me about why you're smiling. Talk to me about why you're nice. Help me understand why you're forgiving. Let me know, you know why you're not upset about this. In all these opportunities, we tend to weasel our way out of it, but we need to use that opportunity to share not even a long dialogue. Hey, you don't, you don't, you don't, um, you don't talk bad about anybody else at work. We show up in the lunchroom, all we do is talk bad about each other. You'd never do that, how come? Well, in Genesis 1-1, it says, in the beginning was the word, and no, that was John 1-1. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so there was Adam and there was Eve, and Eve ate of the, like, you've lost. No, it's just a quick response. Well, I'm a, I'm a, I follow Jesus, and so I don't talk bad about people. Jesus loves people, I love people. Uh, I, if I love people, I'm not going to talk bad about them. Oh, that's weird. I thought, I thought Christians hate people. No, no, we, man, I, I, I love people. Even, even Freaky Joe, that guy you guys always talk about. about. <laughs> so, the, so you wait for these windows of opportunity. When people ask you something, use that moment. So many times, everyone said, why are you so happy? I'm just a happy person. No, that was your moment. That was your moment. What'd you do this weekend? Oh, I just did some stuff. No, that was your moment. I hate all Christians. That's your moment. Why would I ever speak up in that moment? No, because that's the chance for you to just mess with their understanding. Wait a minute, because I mentioned it before. Wait a minute, I liked you. I'm supposed to hate you now because you're a Christian? No, why would you ever do that? I've been a Christian the whole, you know, t two months, two years I've worked here. Part of this waiting for window opportunity, you're not shoving the Bible down their throat, all right? You're just enjoying Jesus. And when someone asks for a bite, you share with them. So you're not saying, eat your vegetables, you know, be vegan. <laughs> you're, you're just waiting for someone to say, hey, what, tell me about that. And you say, oh yeah, man, this is carrot cake. It's really healthy, it's got vegetables in it. <laughs> like, can I try it? Absolutely. Yeah, what'd you think? Eh, not for me, I don't really try like carrot cake. But you're, you're offering them that chance. That's not offensive when someone asks. Use those moments. And what you'll realize if you start paying attention this week, I mean, I bet you God will give you five, 10, a dozen opportunities, just a little window of opportunity to say, and it's gonna start for you for, hey, what did you do over Labor Day weekend? Now here's the next part connecting to that. Create windows of opportunity. The way you speak about something can give someone a follow-up into your life. And not everyone will, will want it, but so I'm gonna give you, give, give you two different ways to say something. When someone says, what'd you do over the weekend? Um, first is, I went to the 
church. So don't speak like a robot, but that's your first one. Their computer freeze. Um, so I, so, sorry. Um, so you can say, I just went to church yesterday. Or you can say, I went to church yesterday. It was amazing. It's not much of a different answer. You believe both things. What did you do? What did you do over the weekend? Oh, I went to church on Sunday. Oh, I went to church on Sunday. It was amazing. Nobody's heard church described like that before. Amazing. Oh man. Yeah. Our pastor. I mean, he's the funniest guy I've ever met in my whole life. Show them a picture and they're like, well, he looks funny. <laughs> yeah, we, we started a series on the office. He showed a clip from the office. We had chili. I mean, we just laughed. It's so good. Like, I, I hated church growing up. Where do you go to church? I go to Restoration Church. Huh. They walk away. But you created a window of opportunity. When someone says, I hate Christians, Christians. I'm gonna filter here for a moment. I hate Christian. Oh, I'm a Christian. You created a window of opportunity. One, for them to throw eggs at you, and that's possible. You are, get them! <laughs> or, they, or again, just to have the conversation like, you are? If they're like, we know. Like maybe you've been a little bit too much trying to create your own windows of opportunity. But, but just those little answers. Hey, what are you doing over the weekend? Oh, I'm going to church on Sunday. I can't wait. You can't wait for church? What do you, and, and even, even started, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I'm getting trashed tonight. I got my whole paycheck going to the liquor store. I'm gonna drink until I puke and then pass out and then I'll spend the rest of the weekend in the ER. What are you doing? I'm going to church on Sunday. I just can't even believe it's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be so good. We leave church and we don't have to take any vomit out of our hair. Unbelievable. Wow. That's, wow, that's different. Wow. And what happens is, four months later, that person comes up to you and said, you still go to that church? Yeah, I do. Why you ask? I'm just sick of living the way I'm living. Do you think God could change my life? You know what? I, I know he can change your life. I know he can change your life. Because here's what he did in my life. I grew up in church my whole life, all right? So it's all I ever knew. My parents brought me to church, I sung all the songs, I went to all the classes, and, and I always believed in God, but I, but, but, so I never doubted that God was real, and it's probably you. You think God's out there, but does God even know who I am? That's where I was. 14 years old, I show up to a church service, it's, a, it's just for teenagers, and they ask people, anybody need prayer? And I, my knee was hurting me so bad, that I was in a gross spurt, and it's hurting me so bad, so I went to the front, and they would pray for my knee true story, by the way. I'm not making this up. This is my story. This is what I would share. And I'm sharing it with some of you. And I walked up to the front. They would pray for my knee. And uh, the pastor there, his name, the youth pastor there, his name was Glenn. He started to pray for me. 
But he put on his hand on my shoulder and started praying for my knee. I started crying. What happened? Did you kick your knee? No. All of a sudden, I felt God. And I've been in church my whole life. I did not know that I could feel God like that. And it was, I mean, you think I'm crazy. I'm telling you. It was the most unreal, amazing experience of my life. So here I am, 14 years old, crying at the church service. And I'm not crying like I'm sad. All right, It's not like when I watched Homeward Bound for the first time. I wasn't crying like that. I was crying because all, all this miserable pain that was in my heart, God was taking it all out. I didn't even know that that could happen. And I remember girls coming up to me and saying, here's some tissues, everything okay? And I remember looking at them as I was sitting on the floor through speckled, tear-stained glasses saying, I'm not crying because I'm sad. Because I wasn't crying because I was sad. I was crying because God healed my heart. He changed my whole life. And I was just a 14-year-old kid. What he done in my life can you do in yours? Yeah, but I am dealing with all these problems. Oh, well. I was hurting the church. Oh, well, my friends, Betty and Roger, they were hurting church too. But they just told us on Sunday. Yeah, but I've used substances. Oh, but my, I have so many friends at church who, you know, one guy I met this morning, it's for, he's been watching online because he's been in, uh, he's, been at, at, he's been at rehab, but he came today for the first time and he's, he's five months sober. God's working in his life. Oh, but I, but I can't, um, yeah, but I was, I, I've had so much trauma, I was sexually assaulted. Oh, my wife, that happened to her and God healed her. Oh, but, but I had an abortion and God would never forgive me for that. Oh, wait a minute, no, there's, there's some ladies in our church and that happened to them, they did that too. And, and God healed their heart from that. Oh, but I'm really, I'm really sick and I'm mad at God that I'm sick. Wait, no, I've got some friends and they're walking with God through their cancer. And I even have some friends who've been healed from that. Oh, but, oh, but, um, but I've been divorced. And no, oh, wait a minute, I got some friends who've gone through that and God's worked in their life and I could introduce them to you too. Oh, but, but I, I swore along to, and, and you all of a sudden now, God chooses you show how great he really is. And they end up coming in with you or watching online and you have that great privilege of them calling you on the phone like my friend Eric did when we were freshmen in high school and saying, hey, I prayed that prayer you told me to pray. And you get to see them meet the Jesus you met. <sighs> what a great feeling. Not because we've checked some box, but because the Savior of our soul has saved theirs. Close your eyes and let's pray together. Jesus, our love for you is real. It's not made up. It's not fabricated. You, you've changed us. All kinds of different people from all different walks of life. You've, 
healed us, you've set us free, you've delivered us, you've done amazing things in our life. And I know there's people in our services today who think that you couldn't or wouldn't want to do that in their life. And we speak against that lie in Jesus' name. I pray that they turn their eyes to you, that you pick up their head and give them the strength to look towards you. Speaking to them, tell them how much you love them. Tell them how much you want to forgive them and move in their heart. Tell them how much of a privilege it would be for you to adopt them into your family. When we make a decision to follow you, it is not a complicated thing. It's a simple prayer where we say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you're God's son. I ask you to forgive me and to save me. I give you my life today. And when we pray that, in our own paraphrase, you infiltrate our hearts as you did when I was 14 years old. And you change us from the inside out. Do that now in these hearts, in Jesus' name. God, I pray for those in here who have already been following you. May we be living epistles. God, you write love letters to our coworkers. You don't write hate mail. And I pray that we'd come in as living love letters, not as hate mail, not as bad news. May we be your good news in our workplace. And through the letter you've written on us, others will come to know you. And we pray this in Jesus' name.